0: Hi, welcome back to America's First 50 Years podcast. I'm Chris McKenna and this is my host Kathy Conroy.
1: Hi Chris. In this podcast we're going to discuss the Boston Tea Party and the intolerable acts which were imposed by England on the colonists as punishment for their destructive behavior during the Boston Tea Party. And the Boston Tea Party events interesting Chris because Most people might think that it was all about the colonists having to pay a high tax on tea. But that really wasn't what it was all about. And it's interesting to understand a little background that led to that event. If you go back to 1721, the British Parliament had passed an act that required the colonists to import tea only from Great Britain. And Great Britain had a monopoly agreement with the British East India Company. We're going to call them EIC. And EIC imported all the tea from China to England. Now, even though the colonists were required to import all the tea from Great Britain, there were smugglers that would get tea in from other places like Holland, etc. But primarily, the majority of the tea into the colonies came from Great Britain. And tea drinking at that time in our history was analogous to coffee drinking today. I mean, everybody drank tea. So duty taxes were paid by EIC to Great Britain when they brought the tea in, and Britain imposed a tax on the tea to the consumer when they bought the tea and drank tea. Eventually, all these taxes on the tea ended up making the cost of the tea, the final product to the consumer, be a lot more expensive than if that consumer had gotten their tea from one of the Dutch tea companies. And it resulted in the EIC becoming very non-competitive in their pricing and almost financially insolvent. So in 1773 now, EIC is in bad shape and British Parliament decides we need to do something to help them. So they come up with the Tea Act of 1773. And really, Chris, what it was, it was a restructuring plan for EIC. And what they did in this act, the key components is they said, we're gonna reduce the duty taxes to EIC that we're collecting from them, give them a little break. And we're gonna give them a monopoly to sell tea to the American colonists. Now, this monopoly allowed EIC to sell to the colonies and get rid of the middleman, because up to this point, EIC was not selling to the colonies. They'd bring the tea in from China, they'd bring it to London, and then they would sell the tea off to middlemen, who then would be the exporters of the tea to the colonies or any other place. So now this restructuring plan was cutting out all those middlemen and allowing EIC to directly move the tea to the colonies. So what EIC did then is they set up agents in the colonies that would receive the tea on a consignment basis, then sell the tea off to the merchants in the colonies, and the agents would be paid a commission on the sale of the tea. So off the shipments go to the colonies, to several ports in the colonies. Now, the only part of that restructuring plan, which was interesting, is that the British kept a tax embedded on the tea that had always been on the books. So this tax on tea existed back in the Townsend Acts, that were put on the colonists in the 1760s. And the Townsend Act taxed several goods and services. The colonists vehemently opposed the Townsend Acts and they were repealed shortly thereafter, except for the tax on the tea was the only thing that wasn't repealed out of the Townsend Acts. What effectively happened is that the merchants who would sell the tea to the consumers they just ended up paying the tax because they didn't want to annoy the American colonists anymore with taxes. Because remember, our colonists hated taxes without representation. So Parliament, in their restructuring plan, as you and I would call it for EIC, they leave this T-tax embedded in the cost of the goods. So the ships are sailing to the colonies, the agents are in place at the ports, And the colonists get wind of the fact that this tax has been left embedded in the cost of the goods. Now, mind you, the actual cost of the tea from the restructuring plan to the colonists was going to be at a level even below that of buying it from the smugglers. So it was a great financial restructuring plan, but the colonists went crazy when they heard that the tax was still embedded in the cost of the goods. Taxation without representation all over again. Their biggest bone of contention are, are colonists. They hated the fact that they were being taxed without representation. So since there's a time involved to get the ships from England to the American colonies, the colonists then put pressure on all of the agents that were to receive the tea from EIC, and effectively they get them all to resign. So when the ships arrive, there's nobody there to receive the tea and the cargo, and eventually they turn around and they go back to England with the cargo. This was true in all of the ports except for Boston, where the agents who were receiving the tea were actually the sons of the governor of Massachusetts. So the ship headed for Boston arrives, and it gets to the port, and we basically have a standoff because none of the merchants are going to buy the tea off of the ship. They're colonists, and they don't like the idea that there's this tax still embedded in the tea. They also hated, too, the idea that Parliament in this restructuring plan had given EIC a monopoly, and they thought, Well, if the king and parliament just decided to give them a monopoly, what's next? What business is going to get another monopoly, and how is this going to affect our lives? So the ship sits there. Now, the governor wants the duty to be paid to Massachusetts from the ship, and there's a certain amount of time that the duty has to be paid. So on the last day that the duty was to be paid is the famous day of the Boston Tea Party, And that was December 16th of 1773, when in the evening, a number of colonists board the ship and dump all the tea into the harbor. When England hears this, they go crazy. This was just completely unacceptable to them. And one has to realize that in today's dollars, the value of the merchandise on that ship was probably over a million dollars. And so England strikes back. This is it. They have had it with the American colonists, and they strike back with a number of acts to um, put the hammer down on Massachusetts.
0: Yes, they did. And uh, they, they were commonly called the Coercive Acts or in the Colonies, the Intolerable Acts. And the first of them was the Boston Port Act, which uh, closed the port of Boston until the colonists paid for the destroyed tea, and the king was satisfied that order had been restored. There was also the Massachusetts Government Act, which unilaterally took away Massachusetts' charter as a colony and gave the royally appointed governor significant powers. Almost all the positions in the colonial government were to be appointed by the governor, parliament, or the king. The act also severely limited town meetings in Massachusetts. The Administration of Justice Act, which only applied to Massachusetts, uh, especially since the king had declared them in rebellion. That act allowed the royally appointed governor of Massachusetts to order trials of any royally appointed officials accused of any wrongdoing to take place in Great Britain or elsewhere in the empire if he decided that the accused couldn't get a fair trial in Massachusetts. George Washington called the Administration of Justice Act the Murder Act because he believed that it allowed British officials to harass Americans and then escape justice. And last but not least was the Quartering Act, which applied to all of the American colonies, and it sought to create a more effective method of housing British troops in America. Uh, The colonies had been required to provide housing for soldiers, but colonial legislatures had been uncooperative in doing that. The new Quartering Act allowed the governor of a colony, who was a a royal appointee, to house soldiers in other buildings if suitable quarters were not provided, and this included the homes of colonists. The colonists dislike this so much that it's the Third Amendment to our Constitution.
1: So the colonists see what England's done to Massachusetts, Chris, and they're very concerned, and they say, you know, these same actions could eventually be put upon us. And they agree that they're going to get together and have a meeting, which becomes our first Continental Congress. And they decide they're going to keep this meeting secret because they don't want the British to know about the meeting. So they meet in Philadelphia, and they meet between uh, early September to late October. And 12 of the 13 colonies are present at that meeting. As a trivial fact, Georgia was the only one colony not present because they were involved in a war with a native Indian tribe and were depending on the British to help them. So they didn't want to take the risk of going to this meeting, having the meeting be discovered by the British, and lose the help of the British in their fight against the Indians. So we have 12 of the 13 colonies that are all together in the first Continental Congress and they decide a number of things at that meeting.
0: The um, Continental Congress issues a declaration and resolves. This is aimed squarely at King George. Uh, This document addresses the right of the people to peacefully assemble and protest and petition the government for the redress of grievances. It's interesting to note that this same document would later be echoed some 13 years later in the uh, First Amendment of our Constitution, which addresses the right of the people to peacefully assemble and protest and petition the government for the redress of grievances. The First Continental Congress also forms the Continental Association system among the colonies. This is the beginning of various American colonies working together as a more cohesive unit, even though culturally they were different. The Continental Association agrees to a ban on all trade with Great Britain to begin in December of 1774. Considering that Britain was the colony's biggest trading partner, this was a bold action on part of the colonies.
1: It really was. And then they also agree at the end of the meeting that they're going to meet again in May of 1775. To decide if any further actions needed on their part they wanted to see what England's reaction was going to be to their declaration and resolves and they were using the ban on trade to get their attention and I think they were hopeful that things could get worked out but they said let's meet again in May of 1775 and we'll figure out where we're going to go from there now the trade ban did actually have some impact Um, and this is the end of 1774 into 1775, and in January and February of 1775, Parliament's discussing the situation again with the American colonists. At the end of February of 1775, after much debate, Parliament comes up with a document called the Conciliatory Resolution, and they send this out to each of the 13 colonies. The resolution basically declares that any colony that contributes to the common defense, because remember that was one of Britain's biggest bones of contention with our colonists as they weren't contributing to defense, and provide support for civil government and the administration of justice would pay no taxes or duties except those necessary for the regulation of commerce. And in our next podcast, Chris, we are going to cover the period from April of 1775 to the Declaration of Independence.